morning, welcome to Grace Chapel Baptist. We're delighted to have you here uh, with us today. If you're a visitor, we hope you feel like an honored and valued one. We got some guest information there for you in the back. You grab a packet, get to know a little bit more about us. Uh, for those of you who are here regularly or a part of the body, I just want to give you a few updates on stuff we got going on this week, next couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, today, uh, right after service, we'll just have a few minutes for anybody who wants to slip out to slip out. And then for everybody who wants to stay, we'll just have a brief discussion about our bylaws. I'll just make some comments. You'll have a time to ask any questions you'd like to get answered. Again, that vote will be uh, next week. So you will just it'll be yes, no, paper ballot. Yes, I vote to affirm the bylaws. And then contingent on that vote passing, you'll say yes, no, I vote Thomas affirm Thomas to continue to be the lead pastor. So uh, that'll be right after church, and then we won't have uh, PM service tonight. There's a, there's a football game going on, uh, and we would encourage you to use that time redemptively. Have folks at your house. Hang out with, with lost folks if you can. Spend time with family. Spend time in fellowship. Use that uh, time well. We'll be praying about that uh, this morning. Uh, it's a little ways off, but next Tuesday, February 20th, will be uh, Women of Grace here in the Fellowship Hall at 630. Uh, so you can make put that on your calendar if you're a woman and you want to be at uh, that. I've got a note on here that says we have uh, some pork left over from last night. If anyone wants to grab some, it's in there in the uh, fridge. If you'd like to make a donation for that, feel free to do that. Last night was a huge success. If you came out here and hung out, we made some real, real good money for our youth to be able to take them and do some stuff with them uh, over the summer events that we'll get to have with youth and children because of that. So thank you for showing up, supporting last night. Uh, we, we had a good time and, and ate some good food. So if you, you missed that, you missed a, a, a good time. Um, going forward, Sunday school classes are normal. We're rolling, around, rolling along as normal. If you're not involved in Sunday school, I encourage you to be involved in Sunday school. There's, there's good stuff happening in all of our classes. We have multiple classes for adults. We have youth class, children's classes. Uh, and so, yeah, lots of options there uh, for you. Uh, we won't have a formal time of giving this morning. Tithing boxes front and the back, so you give. As the Lord leads you to do that. Brother Matt, come and pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this day you give, Lord, to come worship you, Lord, in your house. Lord, I pray, Lord, that Lord, we lay everything down and praise you today and worship you today as we sing. Song praises right about you today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we, we worship you, Lord. Lord, as the world gets ready for a football game today, Lord, I pray we prepare ourselves to go out to the world, Lord, to share the great news that the battles are being won today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Please stand and join us as we sing.
Amen. Y'all can be seated for just a moment. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. Uh, We'll do that after we read Psalm 119, beginning in verse uh, 65. Here's what it says. You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand pieces of gold and silver pieces. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord. We do thank you for your word. We do trust that your precepts are good and righteous, worthy of us following them and living by them and of us delighting in them. Lord, as we just want to begin this year and have tried to begin this year by making a commitment to be a people of your word, Lord, I just ask that you would continue to give us delight in your law, delight in your commandments, delight in your precepts and awareness of the fact that it is your word that leads us into life. It's your word that leads us into life because it is in your word that we encounter the Lord Jesus, the testimony of him, the good news that you sent him to be a ransom for sinners, that we might be counted as righteous in your sight because of him. So Lord, we thank you for that good news as revealed to us in your word. And and Lord, this morning we're going to get chances to just see how you use all sorts of circumstances to help us realize that. As the psalmist prays here, Lord, you, you use even times of affliction. You use times of hardship. You use times of challenges in our life, times of persecution in our life, times where we're hated in our lives to just drive home the fact that our ultimate trust, our ultimate delight has to be in you. So, Lord, I pray that as we walk through times like that, as we suffer through times of affliction, as we suffer through times of hardship, even folks who have suffered through times of hardship or in the past months or the past year, there are people here right here this morning who are having a hard time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be people who walk into those seasons uh, leaning on you, looking to you, drawing closer to you. Lord, let us not shrink back from suffering for the right reason. Lord, may we be a people who embrace it knowing that it's meant to draw us closer to you. We confess with the psalmist that you are good and you do good. You know exactly what you're doing. And so, Lord, help us to trust in that. Lord, we thank you for all that's going on in the life of our church. Uh, We thank you last night for the dinner that we got to have, Lord. I I thank you for um, bringing so many people here. I thank you for uh, the generosity of the people gathered in this church that we would uh, give and give generously to be able to support our youth and our children and uh, Opportunities we're going to have with them to take them, to do fun stuff with them, to continue to share your gospel uh, with them, to continue to disciple them and try to instill a love for you deep within them. Lord, we pray that you uh, would bless that, but we do thank you for how you even blessed our time together last night. Lord, we pray for our bylaw conversation today after church. Uh, Bylaws are one of those issues that so many people get uh, divided over, but Lord, I thank you for the unity you've given us as a church thus far as we've together Uh, been able to work through that. And so, Lord, as we finish up and wrap up the last steps of that process, uh, we just pray that you would continue to bless us, that you would exalt yourself as we talk uh, over our bylaws. Lord, I also pray this afternoon as as we've just tried to challenge folks to 
to use this time redemptively, to spend time with people, to have people at their house, to fellowship, to use the opportunity to reach out to folks who aren't walking with you, Lord. I, I thank you. I praise you that there's so many people in this church who I've just gotten to talk to over the past couple of days are taking that opportunity and are, and are using their households intentionally for the sake of the gospel and, and to promote the fellowship of the saints. So, Lord, I say thank you. I thank you for the spirit of evangelism that you're creating in this church, Lord. As the pastor of this church, I see it. As we get together and we pray about lost folks every Wednesday night, I thank you that every week, every week, people are having gospel conversations that we can come and we can pray over. So, Lord, thank you for how you're giving us and continuing to develop in this church a heart for the lost. Lord, may we just feel that more and more deeply. And, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to make us a faithful people. People Bless our, our gatherings tonight as folks come to our house. We spend time in other people's homes. Lord, uh, help us to be faithful ambassadors for you. Lord, we pray for this gospel that's proclaimed to not only here and in our homes, but uh, all over the world. Uh, this morning, I want to pray for Matthew Marshall as he's in uh, Glen Ross, Scotland, Lord, in, in the Baptist church there. Uh, I just pray that you would continue to use him, his ministry there that you've entrusted him with. Uh, we pray for that church, that they'd be a light to the community around them. As Scotland is uh, becoming a, an increasingly secular place, a place that's characterized by darkness, Lord. I pray for Matthew. I pray for the other folks on staff that are with them. I pray for the church there, Lord, that you would use them mightily in the city they're in uh, to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope to many, many people who don't know you and don't know anything about you. So, Lord, I, I pray for Matthew. I pray you would continue to raise up folks uh, who want to go there and want to serve there, want to be a part of evangelism in the city. And so, Lord, we ask that you would provide for their needs according to your riches. Uh, we pray for the gospel proclaimed here uh, in churches just right around us. Lord, this morning, we just want to pray uh, for Common Ground Baptist Church, Lord, as they've had just another uh, pastoral transition and don't have a pastor uh, right now. Uh, Lord, that body's struggling. We know that. And so, Lord, we just ask that you uh, would send them help. Lord, we pray that you would make them receptive to help from us, if, if that would be part of your plan, if there's a way uh, for us to be able to do that. We ask that you would continue to strengthen us and equip us to be able to serve churches like that and to be able to help them, especially in their time uh, of need. And so, Lord, I pray for the folks who are left there. I pray for people like Stephen Williams, who are going to be a vocal part of that, uh, the process moving forward. I ask that you give them wisdom, discernment, knowledge, Lord, and, and provide direction. Show them what to do and, and how to proceed as they go forward. We continue to pray for churches uh, in our county that don't have uh, pastors right now. We ask that you would provide those pastors. We pray for Union Baptist. We pray for First Baptist uh, in York. We pray for Ross and Road Baptist Church and many, many others, Lord. So, Lord, we just ask that your will would be done in those situations, that you would make those bodies uh, places where your word is preached and where the people are conformed more to the likeness of the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we want that to happen here. We're just a few minutes away from the time where we'll come. We'll open up your word in Matthew 10. We ask that, Lord, you would go before us. We ask that, Lord, right now uh, you would use your spirit in us to awaken us, to illumine us, and to make us take your word seriously. It's a hard word. So, Lord, make us receive it. Only you can do it. In Jesus' name we ask that you would. Amen. Please stand as we sing holy, holy, holy.
this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26. The word of the Lord says, starting in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for all that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please stand again.
uh, you can take your Bibles, go ahead and make your way over to Matthew chapter 10, the Gospel of Matthew and the 10th chapter. We'll pick up in verse 16, which is where we left off last week. Uh, you're aware, we've mentioned it several times already this morning, right? There's a, it's a big day in sports, okay? They're going to play the Super Bowl. That will probably get lots and lots of... Uh, attention. I haven't paid a lot of attention to professional football this year. I will take this opportunity this afternoon to kind of kick my feet up and sit back and relax and watch football uh, one last time and get, you know, a 45-minute life update on what's going on with Taylor Swift. So I can't wait for that. But as you've heard, uh, as you've heard the, the ball game being promoted this weekend, they keep referencing kickoff time. Kickoff time. What time's the ball game? Kickoff. That means by 6.30, uh, both them teams better be ready. That means by 6.30, you better be ready. Because if you ain't ready at 6.30, you're going to be cooking chili outside while the ball game's going on. You ain't going to get to see it. So be ready. 6.30, be ready. It's go time. When 6.30 gets here, it's going to be go time. You better get ready. Some of y'all ain't ready because some of y'all don't care. Right? There's some of y'all. There's some of y'all who are mentally already at next Sunday afternoon. You're, you're ready for the 65th running of the Daytona 500. That's, I'm, I'm proud to pastor some people who still love stock car racing. I'm grateful for that. Don't lose that. And you're ready for next Sunday afternoon. They're going to say the most famous words in motorsports. Gentlemen, start your engines. And that's the same thing. Same thing as kickoff. That means it's go time. Like, it's ready. Like, if you ain't ready, you better get ready because we've got to crank these cars and it's time to go. It's important for us in life. It's go time. It's time to get ready. And brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about this morning just a little bit. It's go time. Jesus says, it's time to be ready. It's time to get ready if you ain't ready. And my concern as we approach this text really candidly as your pastor is that maybe we're not ready. And that's not because I don't trust you. That's not because I don't love you. That's not because I don't think y'all want to follow the Lord. It's just me being realistic as I look around at our culture and even our, our Christian culture. And I just see a lot of things that ain't helping people get ready. Television's full, the bookshelves are full, the radio's full, the podcast is full of people who are coming to you wanting to say they're Christians, want to talk to you about the Christian gospel, and they're not saying stuff that's going to help you get ready. We were on a break from our class the other day and took a little lap in Ollie's. You can go down to Ollie's. You can get good stuff there and you can get it cheap, but you can also get a lot of books written by people who are not helping you Get ready, because they've rejected the real gospel. We're going to get to hear it straight from Jesus this morning. Because as somebody who is concerned and is concerned as your pastor, I'm going to do very little about it this morning. I'm just going to try to point you to what the text says. We're going to read the next section of Matthew chapter 10. I'm just going to highlight a few things Jesus says. We'll draw a couple conclusions. And we'll be pretty straightforward and we'll be pretty succinct this morning. But Jesus is going to ask you really clearly. Ready. Here's what it says. Behold, I'm sending you out. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. As sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we see really clearly the expectations for your disciples as they go out. Lord, we ask that you this morning would apply your word uh, to us as people who are here striving to be your disciples in 2024, right here, right now, today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I don't really know uh, what you heard as you read that text, but here's what I heard as, as I read that text. It's tough out there. Tough world out there, disciples. So, so Jesus has called the disciples. He's commissioned the disciples. He's sending the disciples out. He's given them the authority they need to go and do the ministry he's charging them to do. And, and as he tells them to go, he says, it's tough out there. And here's how he starts to describe that. Like, here's what's going to happen. I'm sending you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves, sheep, They're docile, pretty tame animals, familiar metaphor for these people. There's lots and lots of shepherds in Israel. There were at this point in time. There still are today. The reason there were and are lots and lots of shepherds in Israel is because uh, sheep, many things they may be, are not very well suited to defend themselves. Which means if you wanted to, you want to domesticate a sheep. You, you have to turn around and have somebody take care of that sheep and guard that sheep and feed that sheep and, and lead that sheep. If you want to know, if you're interested, why does Jesus compare us as disciples, these disciples here, us as disciples now, to sheep? Sheep are radically dependent. They need a shepherd. That's why Jesus' heart breaks that they're like sheep without shepherds. Sheep need shepherds. And he says, y'all are the sheep. Y'all are these people who are dependent on me who are not in a good position to defend yourselves. And I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. Wolves, conversely, very different type of animal. Wolves are meat-eating type animals. Sheep, I don't know if you know something. They got meat. So what do you think these opportunistic, meat-eating wolves would do if given the chance to take advantage of these sheep who have this meat but aren't able to defend themselves? You obviously know what would happen? Because you know what would happen, Jesus then says, So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Does Jesus love a good animal metaphor or what? Right? He's giving you another one. Be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. You might remember Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the most cunning of all the animals the Lord God had Made That comes before Genesis 3, 2. So before we see the serpent at work trying to deceive Adam and Eve, we're told about the serpent. That the serpent is a cunning or a crafty animal. And Jesus' command to you now, since you're going to be like sheep in the midst of the wolves, since it's going to be pretty hard when I send you out of here, like here, here's what you, you guys need to do. You need to be crafty or cunning or we might say wise or prudent or use lots of good sense. That should characterize you 
as disciples. But it's wisdom, it's prudence, it's using lots of good sense, it's craftiness, it's cunning, qualified by innocence. Is innocent as doves, or as, as blameless as doves, or as pure as doves. What's that mean for us? Practically, it means that we be a pure, transparent, innocently intended people. I was reading a commentary this week. It summarized it pretty well. Christians are not to be gullible simpletons, wise as serpents, but neither are they to be rogues, innocent as doves. Wisdom, cunning, craftiness, for the sake of the gospel. As reined in by the clear teachings of scripture. Uh, when we talk about not being gullible simpletons and not being rogues. Unfortunately like all other things this a road with ditches on both sides. And we got people in, in each of them. That's not the way of the Christian life. You would hold the wisdom or the craftiness of the serpent alongside the innocence of the dove. If we do that we'll be equipped best we can to walk as sheep in the midst of of wolves. Brothers and sisters, are you, are you ready? You might want to get ready because this is Jesus' general command. But then he lays out in verses 17 and 18 what they're going to face. What, is it, so what does that look like? Verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now, you read that, and we've probably lost a little bit of the shock effect as people who are living in, in 2024. Because you read that, and you're also familiar with stuff like the book of Acts. You read it, and you're like, of course. Of course they're going to be flogged and dragged around and stand before rulers and stand before Gentiles. Like, you're familiar, a lot of you are familiar with Paul's life. Of course that happened. But I just want you to imagine for a second, like, how this would land on these original disciples who are sitting, him, sitting here hearing him. And they ain't read the book of Acts. You know why they ain't read the book of Acts? Because they are the book of Acts. Y'all are the characters in the book of Acts. All the stuff that we take for granted that, of course, Christians go through that type of stuff. They hadn't been through it yet because it hadn't happened yet. But Jesus says, like, it's coming. Be ready. So I, I want you to imagine them hearing that. And Jesus' really, really, really clear command to them by warning them that these type of things, the type of things you're going to see in the book of Acts, are coming to them. His clear command is, get ready. You might just want to get ready. And so for me and you, as we come and we approach this section, like, oh, wow, I wonder what it means for us. Uh, I'm just going to go way out on limb and say it means get ready. It's no different. Get ready. Now, we're not talking about doomsday prepping. We're not talking about going to Bass Pro and buying every MRE you can get your hand on. If you want to do that, that's on you. I won't go meddling in that area of your life. If, if it becomes an idol, we'll talk about it. Okay? Jesus didn't talk about it. Jesus is talking about being spiritually ready. Are you spiritually ready? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that we always, we always need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. For us to be faithful, Bible-believing people, we always got to people be a people who are ready. So I just want to ask you, like, are you ready? I know you hear this text, and you think, what's that all about? You're going to flog us? That hurts, guys. Flogging's not fun. 
They're going to flog us. They're going to drag us before these rulers. We're going to have to testify. We're going to have to give a defense. We're going to be on, on trial, we're about to find out in the next verse. And we're just not very used to that. I get it. But what I, I just want to hand you is, like, guys, in the history of Christianity, we are the exceptions. We're the weird people. We're the people who in the West for the last 300 plus years have had this kind of uh, veil of protection. We haven't been subjected to being flogged and beaten and killed and hunted down. But guys, I just, I just got to help you realize our brothers and sisters in most places at most other times in the history of our faith have been these people who were flogged and persecuted and hunted down and forced to recant their faith or else. We're an incredibly privileged people, but as you sit here and you think, what's this text talking about? Understand the problem is you're the one with a really strange experience. This is normal, faithful, biblical Christianity and what Jesus foresees and expects happening to people who are going to follow him. Brothers and sisters, get ready. Get ready and be faithful. People want to ask me all the time, Thomas. When do you think Jesus is coming back? I found out your pastor. When does Jesus come back? Jesus has to be coming back real soon, right? And I say, no, I don't know when Jesus comes back. I don't have a direct, special line of communication about times and dates and such. And no, I don't think it has to be real soon. Because Jesus said, nobody knows. So if nobody knows, I don't know. And I don't presume to know when he's coming. All I know is what he says is he is coming. And all I know is what he says is when he's coming we got to be ready. And there's going to be some people, when Jesus returns, who ain't ready. Because we're going to get this parable here in a few weeks, a few chapters. We'll be there before you know it. And there's these bridesmaids who are waiting. They're waiting on the bridegroom to come. And some of them are wise, and some of them are ready, and some of them are faithful. And guess what? They got oil for their lamps. And there's other ones who, when the bridegroom comes back, they ain't ready. They ain't got oil because they haven't been faithful. And guess what they end up doing when the bridegroom gets there? They're scrambling around looking for oil because they ain't ready. Brothers and sisters, are, are you ready? Have you put all your faith, all your trust, all your hope in Jesus? Is every egg you got in that basket or are you holding something back? You're going to need to be ready. And being ready means being faithful. So this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to expect to happen. This is the type of stuff you're going to face, verses 17 and 18. And then here's how you're supposed to handle that. Verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Uh, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, brothers and sisters, surely that doesn't surprise you a whole, whole lot. Because if you're tracking with Jesus' metaphor here, hey, you guys are like sheep who were sent out in the midst of wolves. The purpose of that sheep metaphor is to remind you you're dependent. You're dependent. You're dependent. You're dependent. So when it hits the fan, what are you supposed to do? Be dependent. Verses 19 and 20. Keep depending on me. Keep leaning on me. It's not about you. It's not about what you're able to speak, uh, what you're able to conjure up in your own strength. Not about that. It's about you still being dependent on me. Now, people uh, at different places and different times have taken this verse and twisted it and made it mean things it clearly isn't supposed to mean. Uh, I don't know the guy, but I know the guy who knows the guy. And there was a guy who was a seminarian. He's in seminary. And he used this verse right here all through his seminary experience as defense for why he was against sermon preparation. 
I don't prepare a sermon. I just get like I'm supposed to just this that. All these people preparing sermons don't trust the Lord. So he was slated to preach one day in the seminary chapel, and he hadn't thought about what he was going to talk about or what he was going to say about what he was going to talk about. And he got up, and apparently he never thought about what he was going to say or what he was going to talk about. And he learned that day that he had been interpreting the verse wrongly. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is not a bailout for not knowing what you're doing or not knowing what you're talking about or not being competent in your faith or not being competent in your scriptures. It's simply, hey, when it does hit the fan and you do take a stand for the Lord, guess who's standing by you? Guess who you can depend on? The Lord. Not your strength, but the strength of the Lord. And it's a good reminder that as we're dependent on the Lord, guess where we find our comfort? In the Lord. The Lord is our strength. And here comes a really big, powerful warning with lots and lots of vivid description against putting your comfort anywhere else. Verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. So uh, don't look for comfort Ultimately, in your brother. And the father, his child. So, so don't look for comfort. Ultimately, in your father. And children rise against parents and have them put to death. So don't look for comfort. Ultimately, in your children. These are all good gifts. Jesus affirms them. Jesus is all about them. But Jesus is also really, 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 really clear. If any of those people in those relationships mean more to you than me. Got problem. We've, we've sunk into this notion. I guess it's because we're Americans. I guess it's because we're in the South. I guess it's because of those good bootstrap family values. It's good. I respect them. I love my family. I don't want you to hear me as a sadistic person who doesn't love my family or my parents. But guys, Jesus is super duper clear that when we talk about family, the family of faith trumps the family bloodline every day of the week. I just want I will hand this to you. You're gonna it's gonna sound strange, like lots of other things I'm gonna say this morning, but I just want you to hear me. If you are a believer, a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus, you have, whether you know it or not, you've got more in common with the Arabic-speaking Christian who lives in Syria and likely practices their faith in secrecy underground than you do with a non-believing family member, even if that family member is playing church with you. You will also spend eternity with that born-again believer who's a Syrian, Arabic-speaking Christian, and you will not spend eternity with your unbelieving family member if they don't repent and put their trust in Christ. The soul is a weighty thing, brothers and sisters, and it's weightier than blood. And so Jesus looks at all these intimate relationships, father and child and brothers and children with their parents, and says, if we're standing on opposite sides of the line of salvation... That relationship that we put lots and lots of weight in, it's, it's actually not as strong as it seems. And there might come a context where you put in a, in a situation where you might realize, Jesus said, it's not as strong as it seems. And the consequence of that relationship not being as strong as you hoped it might be or thinking that it was might be somebody dies. Again, you hear me say that, and that's so radical when you're like, I'm not taking you seriously. I don't know what you're talking about. That's too, too foreign for my context. I just want to point out to you, if I was preaching this sermon this morning in Iran or Afghanistan or Pakistan or North Korea or China, people in the congregation would be able to point and name names. This is normal, run-of-the-mill 
Christianity. We're the exception. We're the weird people. We're the people who've gotten the privilege to sit where we're at for the last 350 years and largely be left alone. That is not most people's experience with Christianity. Brothers and sisters, you might just want to get ready. Because if you're, if you're not ready, Jesus says, you're not ready enough. This is not theoretical. Jesus then heads into verse 22 where he explains more of what you're going to face and more clearly how you're going to face it, how you're going to have to face it. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Hated. You might feel that a little bit now. You might say, man, the world's against us. But Jesus, Jesus means to say, if you're going to be attached to me, you're, you're going to follow me. Just realize there's going to be times and places where it feels like everybody, everything in the whole world is against you. And that's because it is. That's because the world can't help but hate you. But brothers and sisters, I, I would just point out to you, if you take this in context with stuff like 17 and 18 and 21, we, ha we haven't quite got here yet. There's, there's a day on the way, more than likely, where, where the world is going to turn from calling us bigots. That's what we get right now. We're going to get out and out hatred. We're going to get out and out, we wish you didn't exist. And we're going to get out and out, when we get the privilege and the ability to keep you from existing, we're going to do what we can to keep that from happening. We're going to transition from bigots to people who are out and out hated. That's going to come at a price. We're going to be outlaws. Now, some of you get a little excited. Some of you like the term outlaw. Some of you are like, I want to be an outlaw. Some of you think you are an outlaw. I got you. But again, look, just realize, that's going to, that's going to, come, it's going to come with cost. Are you ready to pay those costs? Jesus says you better be. Because you know who's going to be saved? The one who endures. Do you know what the logical implication of the one being saved being the one who endures is? The one who don't endure ain't saved. Thomas, I thought you believed once saved, always saved. I thought your big perseverance is saints, God. I thought we made you sign that piece of paper that said you believed in all that stuff, that God's going to keep his people to the end. You did, and I signed it, and I do. I do believe that. I fully and firmly believe that. But I also believe uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, where the Apostle John is writing in this context, trying to explain to these people who've watched a bunch of people leave their church and go back into other faiths. And, and he says to them, hey, you know why they went out from us? Because they were never of us. They went out from us that it might be clear that they were not of us. Brothers and sisters, uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that the Lord will bring to completion the work that he's begun in us at the day of Christ Jesus. So if we don't make it to the day of Christ Jesus, if we don't die in believing faith, if the Lord Jesus doesn't return and find us in believing faith, guess what? It looks to me like the Lord never began that good work in us. If we're going to be saved... We're going to have to endure. We don't do that in our own strength. We do it by leaning on the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. But I, I, the question still stands. Are you ready? If you're not ready, you might want to get ready. Are you ready to endure? Verse 23, are you ready to live on the run? When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now look, surely you know that's part of the package. 
Like, if you profess to be a, I'm a biblical Christian, I love the Bible, I'm a born-again Christian type Christianity, if that's the faith you're clinging to, surely you know that's part of the package. Watch what happened to Jesus. He goes to Nazareth, they try to throw him off a cliff, what's he do? He, he hits the road, goes somewhere else. You watch what happened to apostles, all through Acts. You watch it happen to Paul over and over and over again. Paul rolls up. He whips out the Old Testament scriptures. He shows up in the synagogue. He preaches Christ. He makes it two weeks, three weeks, three months, two years. Eventually somebody says, we're tired of listening to Paul. And guess what? He packs it up and goes somewhere else where people listen to him for a while. And then eventually the people come there and they tired of him being there too. And, and rent, rinse, wash, repeat. Surely you know that's part of the package. Brothers and sisters, we're odd. We're weird. Like, what's going on in the last 350 years in the colonies that preceded America and now the United States of America is a weird experience in the course of biblical Christianity? I'm grateful for it. Don't hear me say I'm not good for it. I'm super grateful for it. The fact that we haven't had to live on the run, bouncing from place to place so we don't get killed is a really cool, unique thing. Guess what it's allowed us to do? It's allowed us to put down some roots. It's allowed us to establish churches here. Look, we're probably going to get to come here next week. We're all working under that assumption, aren't we? That, Lord willing, we'll still live in York County next week, and we'll get to gather here, and we'll start preaching the Bible again in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, and we'll build on what happened last week. That's a really cool advantage that the church doesn't have when they have to hop around and move around. They can't build homes. They can't make themselves comfortable in any way, shape, or form, which means they can't study really deeply. We've been here in America. We've got to put down roots. We've got to build seminaries. We've got to send our kids to get educated. We've got to turn out Christian scholars who publish helpful stuff. What's happened in the last 350 years in America? The really cool thing is if we never get to publish a book again, no more Bible commentaries, no more secondary resources, no more Pilgrim's Progress. We've got enough of those books in circulation right now that we can all study them for the rest of our lives and never, never mind the depths of them. That's a gift that the Lord Jesus has given to his church by giving us peace and freedom of operation in a place like this in the last 350 years. It's really, really cool. I want you to hear me say that. But I do want you to hear me say it's weird. And I do want you to hear me say, if you're not willing to live a verse 3 type Christianity, verse 23 type Christianity, you're not ready enough. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you got to be ready for this. you got to be ready for when they persecute you, pack the bags and you keep moving. And if it means you can go across town and be, I would move to Clover to be faithful. I said it. I'd move, I would move to Clover. Faithful. I'd go to California for to Clover. I'd move to Clover. Be faithful. Are you ready? If you're not ready, you're not ready enough. Because. Here's why this all makes sense. If you haven't caught anything else, that's fine. As long as you catch this, you'll get the point. Because, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? I was at a meeting about 18 months ago, meeting with a bunch of pastors. We meet with another group of people who were kind of parachurchy type deal. And there was, there was a debate broke out over the word coach. The word coach was used. And one of the pastors raised his hand and said, hey, I, I've got a problem with the word coach. When you use the word coach, it makes it sound like 
you're better than us, or you, you know more than us, or whatever, and you, you're trying to help us, but now you're coming along saying, like, we're better than you, we know, we know more than you, that, like, copes, like, I just don't think that's a good word. And the people, like, on the break, like, oh, no, 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 we, we're not trying to say that, we're just saying we want to help, we want to support, we want to come alongside you, we're not saying we're the experts, nothing like that. And the, the, the pastor just pushes back and is like, yeah, so just say that. Like, don't use the word coach because the word coach implies you're the experts. You know better than me. You know more than us. And they come back and say, no, 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 no. You're missing it. Just because we said it doesn't mean that. That's, I don't mean that. And while that whole debate's going on, uh, I look to the person sitting beside me because I'm sitting there as an active coach, right? It's a Thursday afternoon, and I've got to co coach JV football. They were playing a JV football game uh, that night. And I said, I don't know what they're talking about, but here's all I know, brother. If they gave me a set of pads and they turned me loose tonight, I'd mess one of them 16-year-old defensive linemen up. I'm just here to tell you, if I got to strap up one more time, it would be bad, right? But you know that. Like, coaching implies I know more about how to block or how to hit a softball or how to dribble than you do. That's what equips you to coach. If you don't know more about how to block or how to hit a softball or how to dribble, you're not qualified to coach somebody else how to do that. You can't do it. That's the point of coaching. That is if the people you're coaching, the athletes, if they would listen to you and be more conformed to the way you're talking, the way you're thinking, the way you're living, the way you're acting, they would be more successful. That's how coaching works. If that's not true, you're not a good coach. The same goes with teachers. If you don't know more about a particular subject than the people you're teaching, you're not qualified to teach those people. The idea is that the more you can get your students to think the way you're thinking about that thing, the more successful they'll be. You want the student to become like the teacher, more conformed to the teacher. Same is true when we talk about uh, master and apprentice. Same thing. If the person who's the expert, who's the master in the subject, in the trade, or whatever we're shadowing in, if they don't know more about how to do this thing, the apprentice, that's not going to be real good apprenticeship. If they don't model the task in such a way that the apprentice could come along and be more successful as they get more like the master, you do not want to be a part of that apprenticeship. So then you're just left with a question, and this is where we, we got to push our way to. Do you think Jesus knows what he's doing? Because if you think Jesus is a good teacher, it's, it's enough for you to be like him, right? It's enough for you to think like him, right? Living a godly life would look like thinking more like Jesus. If Jesus is the master and we're the servant, you think Jesus knows what he's doing as master, right? Wouldn't successful living for us look like living more like Jesus? That's what Jesus seems to think. He's the teacher. He's the master. We're the disciple or we are the servant. So guess what? If that's true, if we believe Jesus knows what he's doing, then we're going to be content to be more like Jesus, and we're going to be successful in living the Christian life as we look like Jesus more and more and more. And Jesus just wants you to know. That's right. But they call me Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a formal name, a proper noun by this point in time. Folks, the Jews in this era are using it to refer to the prince of demons. Come be associated with Satan. Probably gets that name from a, a, a pagan god cited back in the Old Testament. But Jesus says, that's what they call me. And if that's what they call me and I'm the expert, 
I'm the teacher that you're trying to think more like. I'm the master that you're trying to live more like. Um, what do you think is coming for you? And, and brothers, this, like, this isn't, again, not theoretical. Like they literally, they called him Beelzebul. You heard it. You didn't see that language, but it was the same concept. Chapter 9, verse 34. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. They're talking about Beelzebul. Like Jesus ain't making this up. It happened to him. You watched it happen to him. And Jesus says, if that's what's coming to me, and you're trying to be more like me, what do you expect come to you? So the question I want to leave you with, the question I want to ask, the question I want to float out there, and I want you to start running folks through it when you hear them talking. Is why do you think you're better than Jesus? Why do you think you're better than Jesus? I would love to ask that question to our prosperity gospel folk. I'd love to look them in the face and I'd love to ask them that question. I'm talking about folks like Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis. If any of those names sound familiar to you, why don't you just run them through that filter? Why do you think you're better than Jesus? How do we redefine Jesus' teaching so that success looks like I get more health, I get more money, and I get more temporal worldly happiness? My best life right now. That, that don't seem to be what Jesus is saying. How do, you, how do you get there? How do you rationalize making that leap from what Jesus is talking about to health and wealth and happiness. Those are two very different definitions of success. Jesus says, you want to be a successful disciple, they're going to call you the devil. They're going to treat you like you're Satan. And they say, no, if you want to be, if you have enough faith, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and you'll be happy all the time, and nothing will ever go bad. Brothers and sisters, like, that message isn't able to be reconciled. The reason that it gets preached is because it sells. It's fun to imagine that, isn't it? It's fun to imagine that there's this imaginary halfway house out there somewhere where I can live just like I'm a secular American. And I can do everything I do so that I'd be more healthy and I'd be more wealthy and I'd be more temporally happy and I would have all the stuff that I want and I would just be able to keep up with the Joneses. But then, like... I could also just say on the side, like, there's a little room for Jesus here. Like, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Jesus. It's not able to be reconciled. Brothers and sisters, it sells. And that's the reason that people like that say stuff like that to you. When you see a commercial for somebody who's asking for $54 million for their fourth private jet because their three other private jets just weren't quite good enough, that's probably a good tip. We've gone just a little bit too far. I'm all for people being compensated. Jesus said last week, a worker's worthy of his wages. We've gone a little bit above what you're worthy of. You've exceeded the wages you are owed. But I just, again, I just want to press in on this because it's a danger for us. It sells, and unfortunately it sells to people like the people in our community. I'm talking about people you run into. I'm talking about the type of people who would want to come to church here. Sometimes they're confused, and they, they're like Little Red Riding Hood. They're in the house with a wolf, and they don't know it. A few weeks ago, I was out, hanging out in the community, doing a little bit of community recon, you could say. Doing some work out in public. And I heard two ladies talking, and they were talking about stuff that was going on at their local church. It wasn't one of our churches in the area we got any connections with, but 
they were talking about what was going on there and this and that and the other. And it sounded like a little, bit of, a little bit of drama. And then one lady finally spoke up and said, you know, I've really been listening to Joel Osteen. I really like uh, Joel uh, Osteen. A lot of people don't like Joel Osteen, but I don't see how you can't like Joel Osteen. He's got a good message. And I guess if you define the word good as something that you like, maybe he does. Maybe he does have a good message if you define the word good that way. Uh, but I just want to put the emphasis on he has got a good message. Because it ain't Jesus' message. You've seen what Jesus said. And so when we're talking about real deal, faithful, biblical, born-again Christianity, we're going to want to let Jesus define what we're talking about. There's a danger of thinking there's a halfway house you can live in between faithfulness and doing whatever you want, prioritizing whatever you want, and saying, I'm saving a little bit of room for Jesus on the side. Those are two very, very different things. Brothers and sisters, you're, you're going to swim in those waters. You're going to hear that. You're going to be in coffee shops with people who say that too. You're going to walk in alleys and see books that say stuff like that too. You've got the ability to go home and cut on the TV and watch preachers who say stuff like that too. You can listen to podcasts for people who are saying stuff like that too. You're going to run into it. Some of you run into it this week. And I just want to say to you as your pastor, somebody who's trying to shepherd you and trying to guide and lead and direct a little bit, is don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. What I also want to say to you is it is enough. It is enough for you to be like your master. It is enough for you as a disciple to become more and more and more like your teacher. But I just want to remind you what we believe about our master, about our teacher. We believe that he came and then he lived and that he suffered and bled and died. And he had to suffer and bleed and die. That was his way. And he did it because God the Father was busy pouring out his wrath on God the Son to cleanse the sins of anyone who would ever come to put their trust in him. And I don't mean a little bit of trust. I mean all the chips. I mean every egg in that basket. That trust in him. So I just got to ask you, is that you? Are you sold out? Are you Are you ready? Are you, are you faithful? Or would there be a circumstance or a situation where you would compromise your faithfulness to Jesus, maybe even to save your heart? If you're not ready to be faithful in the face of persecution, you're not ready enough. You can deceive me. You can deceive us. You can, might can deceive the whole church. You can deceive the community. You can deceive your family. I might stand here one of these days and preach your funeral and say, oh, so-and-so was a great Christian, and I'm sure they're in glory right now. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying, whether you ever receive it in this lifetime or not, if you wouldn't endure persecution for the sake of the gospel, you ain't ready enough. And the thing is, all that stuff ain't really going to matter in one of these days. And what I think ain't really going to matter in one of these days. And what the rest of the church think ain't really going to matter in one of these days. be honest with you, it don't matter right now. Because the Lord's busy looking at your heart. He knows. Are you ready? Not ready. You might want to get ready. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord. We do thank you that as you invite us to come and follow you, you say things like come and take up our cross and follow you. And so, Lord, I pray for these dear saints who are seated before me today, those who truly and genuinely have their trust 
in you, Lord, I pray that they would be willing to die to themselves and to lay down everything about them that they love and treasure, anything that would get in the way of them being faithful to you. And Lord, if that ends up being their life, I pray, Lord, that you would equip us and prepare us that we would be that ready. Lord, we don't want it to come to that. We don't invite that. We don't look forward to coming to that. None of us really want to be a martyr. But Lord, would we be a people who are faithful to you and faithful at all costs? Lord, I pray for any who are here who, who don't know you, who don't have that type of trust in you, who aren't willing to endure and aren't willing to stand for the gospel even in times where it's hard to do so. Lord, I pray you'd make them aware of what the Lord Jesus has said about what it means to follow him. I can't say it anymore with my words. I pray that you would say it to them by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would be glorified in their response. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a hymn response. It's a new one. It's a great one. You enjoy it. Sing along. Enjoy the words. I'll be down in the front worshiping with you guys if you'd like to uh, speak with me or pray with me about anything.
Brothers and sisters, we, we've got a lot going on. I want to take just a moment to read our, our benediction. It's going to be from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, what Paul has been writing to Timothy about just here recently in these, uh, in these verses are some false teachers who've turned away and are leading people astray. They're doing their own thing. They don't love Jesus above everything. And, and here's what Paul says to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you, however... You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, amen and amen. Would you sing the doxology with us? Uh, you'll be dismissed. Again, if you want to participate in our bylaw conversation, you stick around. Anybody's welcome to participate. We'll make sure we get copies to all of our members who are eligible to vote first. Uh, after that, we'll get you some if we can. Uh, visitors, if you got questions or anything, you can observe and ask me questions later this week. Uh, but seeing that I saw you with us, you'll be dismissed. Hey.